the only person who works at, I think, a, a nine to five, maybe. You should start the podcast like that. Uh, guys, I have to start work, so. <laughs> I have to go to my real job now. <laughs> You're listening to the Free Willy Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. As usual, I am joined by Lauren Rowney. Lauren, hello. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Amy Jones. Hello. Fresh back from the UK. It was so wet and rainy and grey and horrible. Now I've been reunited with the well, sun. You brought it with you. What? I haven't looked outside yet today. No. It's gross out up here on Montjuic. It's crazy how different it is. You've got your own microclimate. microclimate up there. It really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an echo. <laughs> Gracie Elvin, Gracie. Howdy. Good to be back. I see like an old school trek behind you. Yeah, it's actually a U.S. Postal Service edition, which is controversial. It's Kimberly's, so it could be worth a lot of money soon. Lance Armstrong's apparently coming to Australia, so that's a thing. I won't be going to be part of that crowd, just saying, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of other people there. (laughs) But it's a very cool frame, and it's a... I had that bike years ago. It was Mm. my first one. Yep. Yeah, it's a classic. I think my uncle had one. That was a cool bike back in the day. And then all the stuff happened. All the stuff happened. <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> it's just it's such a cool time. bike that we use it as a commuter and we can't part with it because it's so cool, even though it has that baggage with it. <laughs> We're thinking about <laughs> putting it on the wall or something. I don't know. It's a bit dead now. So, All right. Well, we got uh, kind of for everyone who likes our rants, we might have some good ones <clears> for you guys today. With the topics we've got lined up, we have the news about the U23 World Championship jersey being awarded for the first time ever in 2022. The news about Israel Premier Tech joining forces with Roland Kogas Edelweiss squad for the 2022 season. And a little bit of racing news. And then a Valencia preview. At the end of the episode, I chatted with my friend Mia Manganello-Kilberg, who is currently competing in the speed skating long track events at the Olympics. We talked a bit about the mass start event, relatively new to the Olympics. Um, They only introduced it, reintroduced it in 2018. And her cycling knowledge helps her a ton on the ice. So I thought it would be an interesting conversation. Plus she's just an absolute joy. So it was a great conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But before we dive into all of that, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. Coming up next weekend, Zwift is hosting the eSports World Championships. It's live on the television with commentators and all of that fun stuff. And one of the reasons we love it so much is just the equality of the event. The men and women race exactly the same distance, exactly the same course. They have exactly the same amount of live coverage, same prize person, everything. So it's super exciting. They're going to race two laps of the Knickerbocker route on the New York virtual world of Zwift with three times up the New York KOM. So it's 54.9 kilometers total and ends in a climb that has 17% gradient, 6.1 average, but max is out at 17, which, ouch, yuck. Uh, I chatted with Ashley Moen Passio, and that will be in next week's episode, but there's a ton of heavy hitters on the line, including Sarah Gigante and Illy Gardner from the UK. So it's a good, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good race. We'll do a little bit more of a preview next week, not related to Zwift ads, but I think that this is a super exciting event coming up and the way that Zwift racing is, is this very interesting format that is super inclusive and allows people to race from the comfort of their own homes, but is also very, very hard. Uh, I've been to like live Zwift races and there's a lot of atmosphere and fun around that, but, um, I think I participated in one Zwift race, which I got thrown into last minute by Carly Taylor because one of the pros pulled out um, for some reason and they needed someone. It was awful. I, I, I haven't been in that much pain for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's grim. It's actually like to be They fair. start so fast. It's yeah. like a cyclocross start, I imagine. I've never done cyclocross, but it looks intense. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ashley, Ashley compared it to cyclocross. Actually, when I chatted with her, she said that the the efforts that she does throughout the like road off season, basically, it mirrors how cyclocross is for riders like Lucinda and stuff who race cross and then jump in the road the road season as well because it's like one hour of basically just full gas with jumps. So it's similar to cyclocross, the effort at least. And we love anything that is, uh, gives the women the, the stage that they deserve. And Zwift has really done that, um, between, you know, the equality of the racing and also sponsoring the Tour de France Femme of X Zwift. So happy to, happy to be partners with them as well. Should we get into the episode? That's the first talking point today. <laughs> uh, so we've talked, we've talked about this already, and uh, and I'm sure a lot of the same points are going to get brought up. But this is where we are. Uh, the UCI announced last week the U23 World Championship women's jerseys will be awarded for the first time ever in Wollongong. At the end of this season, with the caveat being that the road race will be part of the elite women's race. I I'm mean, opening the floor. Who wants to rant first? Uh, I emailed, so I emailed the race promoter for Wollongong 2022, and they said that they they weren't approached by the UCI about having a U23 race. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like a completely the this was yeah all the UCI, and they didn't they didn't try try they didn't to consult talk other to promoters as per usual. <laughs> Are you telling me that the UCI have made a reactionary decision based on? Uh, backlash and public opinion without <laughs> actually thinking it through or making any kind of concerted effort i can't believe that sound, yeah it doesn't really sound like them but yeah i think it's a quite a complicated situation i think the i don't want to say the wrong thing on behalf of the race organizers but they were some what expecting a decision to be made one way or the other and I think that they were trying their best to accommodate what may or may not have been decided by the UCI but the fact that they weren't necessarily brought into the conversation I think is telling so I think Wollongong Worlds did want to be part of the conversation and they wanted to figure out like I I was certainly asked my personal opinion whether I thought there should be another under 23 jersey available whether it be a separate race or within the women's race uh logistically it's really difficult to have a whole other race in there and and when would they squeeze it in but everything's possible so i think the wollongong organizers they're really striving for a great event and they really want to push for equality and that was some of their big philosophies around what they did with the time trials um so yeah i I think personally I have the unpopular opinion that I think it's a good idea that the under 23 get a jersey even though it's in the women's race. What I don't like is that it's still going to take three more years for this to turn into a separate race. I think that they should have only had a year or two and it it just needs to be done. I think they're just going to drag this out for way too long. No, I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. I think that's everyone's opinion is that it's good that there is one but I just think they're dragging their feet. There's no need for it to take three years for them to finally have a separate race. Like, I'm sorry, there's a fucking mixed relay. They added that. Why can't they add an under-23 women's race? What was their justification? Well, in theory, they replaced it. Whatever. <laughs> they could, either way, they can change those events. They can mix it up. They can, like, there's just no, there's no excuse. There's no need. I mean, I guess it's maybe it's too short of notice now to have a separate race because I'm guessing like all the planning is already in place for Wollongong and they're working on it. And where would they slot in this extra race maybe for for this year? But definitely for next year, I guess uh, Glasgow is hosting it and Glasgow is hosting every event on two wheels next year. I think every discipline will be competing at the same time. It's going to be like a mini. Yeah, exactly. Olympics. <laughs> um it will be great but 
I can understand from the right. So if they can put that together. I agree with everything that's been said, really. And I think we're all kind of going to agree with each other. It's awesome that the U23 women get a jersey because uh, it's going to help the growth of the sport in the long run. But the fact that they won't award a standalone U23 jersey until 2025 is if they were to say, okay, we're going to award the first ever U23 road jersey in Wollongong, but in Glasgow, we'll have a standalone race. It would have been a completely different reaction. I feel like most of the negative reaction is actually coming from the fact that there is three world championships that we go through before we even get to the standalone race. And a lot of the questions are just why? I mean, surely they haven't started planning 2024 worlds to the extent where they can't throw in another race. And there's a lot of unknowns here. We don't know how this will change selection, unless, Lauren, you know, because you're more in the know when it comes to... We don't even know. (laughs) Yeah. So we don't know know how it's going to change selection if it means that the U23 riders will take spots from the elites or spots will be added on. Neither of those options are good options because... If take spots are taken from the elites, then it's it completely changes the dynamic of the elite race, which is kind of the bigger race of the two, definitely the bigger race of the two. If it means they're adding spots, that means that it could also it's also going to completely change the dynamic of the race because you've got some nations where it'll give them a unfair advantage and some nations where it won't matter as much, but imagine lining up with 12 Dutch riders on the start. I mean, Lonica Unikin is U23. She's uh, like a top pro. So it just gives some nations that already are head and shoulders above a lot of others an unfair advantage. So we don't know how that's going to look with selection and everything like that and how the makeup of the race uh, roster-wise is actually going to change. We don't know why they couldn't add a standalone race. I, there's so much that goes into it, like road closures and all of that stuff that we already know about. There's also like TV rights and all of that stuff that maybe they couldn't have purchased. They, they couldn't have figured out more live coverage for that event or they couldn't have figured out enough volunteers. I don't know. I don't. We don't know. They're, that's like the problem is it's... <sighs> Yeah, it's frustrating because the I've emailed the UCI three times since this news came out and I have not gotten a single response back. So fi- trying to figure out like what their thought process is and and have them defend themselves. It's if if they're not willing to talk about why they've made this decision, it, it's even harder for me to kind of stomach, if that makes sense. Actually, I just I just thought about it while you were talking, Abby. And so currently we have five road races at the World Championships under 19 men and women, U23 men, elite men and women. So typically there's two on Saturday, two on Sunday, and one on Friday. So there is actually a slot there. Um, just saying that in 2023, I don't think it's completely impossible to slot in a separate race which leads into the the next thing that is in my mind is uh, I think some people were arguing on the internet that there's not the depth but if you look at the European under 23 road race they have like 90 starters for the women and that's the Europeans that's discounting the fact that the Australian women had 20 something U23s lining up one of them actually got bronze in the elite road race um and so I just had a little scan on the internet and there's there's depth, not just in Europe, but to give those women as well in like the oceanic region or, or the US, I think it's a bit of smaller contingent based on what I saw, but maybe that's because under 23 is race more collegiate in the US, I don't know. Um, but there's a depth. So I think that as an argument is is a really poor argument. And then when you're speaking about quotas, that's something the riders are actually questioning because if I look at the Australian dynamics, most of the team that say we would potentially send would probably be older than U23 with the exception of perhaps a couple. Um, So that's a bit of an unfortunate situation that, yeah, we could actually feel probably some strong 23s, but we have to prioritise the elites. And in my mind, I can't, I don't know how they could 
increase the quota because imagine they say that every nation gets three separate U23 spots. So if the Dutch fill, um, did they have? No, they didn't have the world champion last year. The Italians did. So if the Italians did, they could end up with 11 riders, say, on the start line. Um, what size peloton would that be then? And I, I don't know how that would work, actually. There are some U23 riders that, that will be, you know, on par with the top elites and some that will really struggle. And if it was a U23 race, because it would be more compact, there would be less riders in the peloton than in the elite plus U23 race, it would actually make it more manageable for those riders that maybe aren't Lanika Unikin. So it, it would, I agree the depth argument is, it's ill-informed. If the depth wasn't there, this is how we grow it is having their own race. And it's, I mean, Elisa Longaborghini said in an interview with, <laughs> with Velo News that it's like the UCI isn't taking the women seriously. And I <laughs> feel like we've, it's like all of the conversations I mean, I we have, know. like <laughs> all the conversations <laughs> we have come back to that. And it's just, Man, it's just so frustrating because how many times have we talked about the pro the problem with development in women's cycling? And this is just it's just like continuing the problem. And and yeah, I, I wish that they would have been able to find a way. I, I feel like if they'd asked the promoters that are putting on Wollongong, if they were like, hey, guys, I know this is last minute and we've already signed contracts and we've already made deals. How do you guys feel about adding a U23 women's race? that coming from Australia with such a strong U23 field where home nation gets to add an extra spot, right? They would be like pretty stoked about putting on a race. And obviously I can't speak for them, but that's, that is the impression I get. So it's, it's just really frustrating. The, the whole thing is frustrating. And I, it, it's cool that they have a TT. It's a, it's their TT is obviously a standalone event. So there's, going to be one U23 uh, world champion who will have a rainbow jersey that isn't in any way tainted by this debate. But it's... I would have rather that they just didn't have a U23 jersey handed out this year and focused on having a standalone race next year. To go back to the the logistics question, and like, Abby, you said you've tried to contact the UCI about that like I don't know the risk of sounding without being presumptuous I think the reason they can't give you an answer is because they probably don't know how it's going to work themselves with having the race within the race because like this question such as Elisa Balsamo isn't it was un, is under 23 or was under 23 when she won last year how does that work is there one jersey just for her like is it how does it work? Like she's won the whole. And race. also, does, does Marion Voss become elite world yeah. champion, and does she become under twenty three world? How does that work? Yeah. And then also the depth question. It's a non issue. Like some of the best riders, case in point being Balsamo, are under twenty three. So to say that there aren't, there isn't the depth at the under twenty three level. Like maybe a few years ago there wasn't, but if you look now at some of the best riders that are coming through. Like these under twenty three riders can keep up with the likes of Anamique and all these others who are much older. It's not a problem. Like maybe, they, of course, there are some that haven't developed like that. There's not they're not all Lorena Weavers or whoever. But like there isn't an issue in terms of depth. There is, there are enough under twenty quality under twenty three riders to make up a whole peloton for under twenty three race. Well, I think as well, because we don't have like the under 23, I don't know if it's called the Nations Cup anymore, or you know how the men yeah. have the under 23 series. The women There's don't like have that reasons. opportunity. And so this would be like if there was a standalone, what a nice opportunity for um, those riders who have just come out of under 19s and maybe are trying to find their feet as well in um, elite racing because they have to race the professional women all year to just step it back a bit. Okay, they're going to have to compete against some of these women who are podiuming or winning uh, elite races, but still just, you know, having that goal, I can imagine would be 
particularly for an Aussie, like a really exciting prospect and something to work towards. I mean, look at the U23 race in cyclocross. We had we had an amazing race with a yeah. couple girls that were top of the World Cup rankings for the elite category, but giving them their own race meant that they got this chance to shine. So, it, it, yeah, I mean, I think you don't have to look farther than cyclocross to see that it would be a good move. It, it would be a better move to have a standalone race. Pretty sure they have one in mountain biking as well. Gracie's competed in that. Yeah, I have actually. I even got on an under-23 podium at a World Cup mountain bike race once. Um, yeah. That was a long yeah. time ago. Uh, I don't know. I feel like we're just putting that cart before the horse and this is where uh, Zwift can really capitalise. In my mind, we need under-23 races in the season before we have a world championships and to have to plonk a world championships with no context. Like, I agree that it's a nice way for these riders to get recognition after racing so hard in the elite all year, but without having a, a narrative for them to kind of lead into the world championships, I feel like is really missing the point and I just don't think that we're going to see an under 23 series for a long time either and I think that that probably requires even more work than a world championship standalone race so I'm not really sure which one we should have first but I really want to see more infrastructure around an under 23 series it doesn't have to be that big like three or five races would be better than nothing and I don't know I just thought like the hammer series type thing could even be a great thing I think I tweeted I can't remember who I was replying to on Twitter a while ago, but it's like imagine using the Hammer Series for under-23 women's cycling as a draft pick. But that's not going to happen because BCI, tend, they, they strangled the, the Hammer Series. So, you know, this is where Zwift is such a, beauty, a beautiful opportunity for women's cycling because we're getting so many women on Zwift participating because it's such an, a welcoming, comfortable, inclusive environment and we're getting more people than racing. They should have an under-23 world championships as well as a, a series throughout the year as a, a, a spin-off from the Zwift Academy, but for under-23. Oh, that's such great. a good idea. They should definitely... Oh man, I'm going to talk to them because they would be like, they would love that idea. Because I think that esports is like awesome. And I think that's such a great vehicle already, especially the Zwift Academy. I think that's an awesome pathway. And particularly for Australians and Kiwis, like I'm getting quite a lot of young riders coming up to me now saying, how do I get on a team in Europe? And it's a really difficult question for me to answer. (laughs) And I want to encourage them, but it's really tough coming from like, this side of the world and trying to make it over in Europe and the Zwift Academy is an amazing pathway but there's only one contract available so I'd like to see a bit more development going into the younger group of riders there so that there is a better vehicle a better pathway there for them. I was talking to Taylor Wiles about this actually about um, getting into the European Peloton she said she had a young girl from California who was asking her, like, how did you do it and how can I do it? And Taylor was like, the the pathway that I took is gone. It doesn't exist anymore um, because there's not any racing in the U.S. The Tour of California is gone and also the teams are collapsing and there's no national team taking riders over. So, I mean, Americans are kind of in the same in the same boat where it's just. It's so hard to get into the European Peloton. And yeah, U23 series, even if it's three races or like, or anything. And I had a really great conversation with Ronnie Lauka about this actually that will be in a podcast uh, coming up about the generation team. Um, but the that whole concept that they're building, while the main idea is... Uh, increasing diversity in the women's peloton it also means that they are adding more of these young riders in and they got so many applications for that team um so there's the the want is there but there's so many so many u23 girls out there who watch the world tour racing and want to be part of it 
but have no idea how to even put their foot in the door. And that's something that we can't solve. Unfortunately, we don't have the power, the four of us to, <laughs> to do that. It, it just, it just all comes back to, I mean, there needs to be some kind of, uh, incentive for race promoters to put on a U23 race and it doesn't exist at the moment. I mean, right now all of the races want to be world tour because they get that's the only way they get exposure. And it's not it goes back to the age-old dilemma that we're sitting in at the moment, which is it doesn't help development. <sighs> To go back to the the U23 elite combo race really quick. There the, the I this was actually another another thing that Ronnie pointed out that I agreed with but also Neve Fisher Black had a great tweet. <laughs> I knew Amy was going to laugh. That's fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh she said we race our bikes to cross the finish line first. And that's like another thing that's going to be weird about this race. I mean, imagine that you're racing against the top riders in the world and you cross the line 25th and you get a world champion Jersey. Yeah. That makes no sense. There's less tactics involved. It, it messes with the dynamic of the composition of the race. Like say there's a breakaway and there's two U 23s with four elites and the U 23s won't work because they're only racing against each other. So they don't really need to contribute. And I mean, yeah, it's, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of problems and a lot of solutions that we do not have the power to implement. <laughs> do we want to get into another like slightly controversial topic? Have we ex- have we expired this one? I mean, we're going to talk about it again when the race is actually coming. So, I mean, yeah, next. <laughs> so. Uh, Israel Premier Tech announced that they will be sponsoring the new, slightly new, not really, not really new, uh, Roland Kogas Edelweiss squad for the 2022 season. I had a lot of interesting conversations with friends about this <laughs> development. It's kind of weird because they're sponsoring the team, presumably with a good amount of cash, uh, but will not be within the name. To be fair, how could you add them? There's already a lot of names um, for that team. I'm trying to figure out how to like word this so I'm not like offending anyone who listens to this podcast who, who might like, I don't know, get me fired. <laughs> but they're going on the jersey. <laughs> they're going on the jersey. And other than that, they are basically non-existent within the team. The The management of Roland Kogas Edelweiss squad will remain the same. The riders, they're going to add one Canadian and one Israeli rider because that's Israel Premier Tech's whole shtick is that it's like a Israeli-Canadian squad. Um, and so they're going to add those two two riders. And, and other than that, they're basically silent partners um, with potentially the goal of extending the partnership past 2022. But for the moment, it's just a one-year deal. Um I feel like this is this opens an interesting conversation about men's teams supporting women's teams uh, because it is my personal opinion that not every men's team should have a women's team. Well, I think like we were we had this discussion offline like why would men's teams or uh, be interested um, in having women's teams or why do people want to jump up to being world tour? And it was sort of centered around one popular opinion, at least on the internet is the tour de France. Like everyone wants to be a part of this race this year. And like, the question is why we put in so much emphasis on this race. Um, But like you were saying, they're not even going to be branded as the same team. So, what is the incentive? I'm not sure. I'm going to go on the defence here and I'm going to defend Israel Tech because I know that for at least two years, two and a half years, they've already 
been trying to figure out how to have a women's team. And I think the way that COVID has affected the economy of cycling in the last two years would have definitely ruined a lot of plans, such as how do you start a development team or a women's team? And so I think that this is their stopgap in going, okay, well, maybe we can tack on to a, a thing that's already structured and they probably shopped around and there weren't that many that they probably could choose from, that they just didn't have the time or the resources to set up a team with all of the staff, all of the infrastructure, all of the riders. So this is their version of saying, okay, well, we're going to test this out. We're going to see if we can work with these people. We might slowly start restructuring this year and if it works out, we'll make it our own going forward and a lot of the work then has been done for them and they'll rebrand it to their own team hopefully next year so I, I believe that they're doing it for the right reasons but I think that it overall looks dodgy <laughs> so it maybe could have been handled a little bit better but I don't know I feel positive about it that's my take. I For me it's more so I shout out to Tilda for highlighting this because she looked into this team like relatively extensively I think for a piece but it looks like the the rest of the sponsors at the risk of like getting sued or something right now but like they it look if you look into them it's quite dodgy like I'm not saying it's a shell company potentially but it looks a bit like I don't know and also but I think Aside from like the sponsorship and that kind of thing, the wider question, like or the wider issue, which is not the fault of Israel Premier Tech or of any of the other sponsors or any team itself, is the fact that does this team have world tour level riders? Do half of the well not half, but do some of the like a few of the women's world tour teams that have popped up this year really just so that they can go to the Tour de France fam. Like, are they really all capable? I honestly only recognise one rider's yeah. name on that team. Yeah. And who's yeah, that? And though? the rider that you <laughs> the rider that you recognize is not one that you like really want to be in the sport. <laughs> so good discussion points though. I actually I agree with a lot of what Grace is saying, but I guess those points that you brought up Amy, um, I think it was from you. It doesn't need to be a World Tour team. They should have just kept it as a pro team this year. And, I mean, they probably would have still gotten into the Tour de France Femme because it there's very limited top pro teams and they are one of the teams that is always on the start line for World Tour races. Um, so why they wanted to go World Tour is an interesting conversation and and I, I really appreciate Gracie your positive spin on it um yeah bloody hell someone has to do it <laughs> doing the lord's work over there I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate because we need to have a balance to chat about most things but yeah I think time will tell on this one I just think that the it seems like there are men's teams out there and sponsors of men's teams that the sponsors are like, we really want you to also have a women's team. And so they're forcing these men's teams to have women's teams. And maybe that's not the case for this. And, uh, Sylvan Adams really does want to have a women's team. Um, in which case he makes a handful of questionable business decisions every day. So I'm not really surprised that this is his way to have a women's team, but there are, not every men's team needs to have a women's team. If you're not going to do it justice, if you're not going to do it properly, it's better to just not do it because there are, there are sponsors out there that will happily and with gusto put together a women's team where the women are properly taken care of. There are so many standalone women's teams out there that are just phenomenal. That there's a women's that there's a women's world tour team out there that now has the uh, the right amount of funding is great. The fact that they didn't have the funding before the season had already started is not great. 
And I think it all just kind of ties into a conversation that we already had about um, the sport growing too fast. I, I feel like we have to be so, so careful about putting too much emphasis on the Tour de France Femme of X Swift because of the stranglehold that the ASO has on men's cycling. Women's cycling has thus far avoided that. And with this race and already the amount of publicity and the amount of just eyes on this race, <laughs> it's really not, not good. Like we, we don't, we're, we are very, very excited about this race. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like such a fine line that there's like so many things in men's cycling that are wrong and they all come back to the ASO having all of the cards. And I think this is a whole topic for, <laughs> for a whole, a whole other day. The, the economy of cycling is pretty shake, shaky. <laughs> yes. I'm going to just leave it there, hey, but could be better. Dream Frank is not owned by ASO. Valenciana. <laughs> oh, good segue. There's a lot of debuts for people who switch teams, new teams, etc. So I think there's a lot to to cover and to talk about. Um, I'm really excited about uh, the new compositions of teams and riders that I know have transitioned to different teams, and hopefully this is going to give them an opportunity to maybe step up again. Um, but I'm sure we've looked at Is there anyone you're looking forward to in particular? I'm, I'm really uh, hmm who was I looking at on the start line and thinking well I'm curious to see how Sarah Roy is going to go on Canyon Tram um, she's been with the same professional team since she became oh well no actually she did a year with Futuro Scope it was used to be called now is FDJ but um, I'm really curious and uh, excited for her to see how this sort of um, this new fresh environment works for her. And you, Gracie? Yeah, yeah me too. No, that's uh, she was probably number one on my mind as well. Mm. And also another yeah. Aussie, Grace Brown, got, who's going to FDJ. Mm. I think that'll be really interesting. So both riders have left Green Edge and gone elsewhere. So fresh start for both of them and I think that they'll have a lot of fire in their belly um yeah I'm definitely looking forward to those two in particular I'm pretty excited to see uh, uh, yeah. Charlotte Cool is making her uh, yeah. racing debut with DSM um which will be really interesting to see there's not a ton of like she's kind of more of a sprinty type not like to put her in a box or anything but it's a it's a pretty climby race looking at the four stage profiles um obviously a very exciting person to watch just on for their for on their first race with the new team is elisa balsamo the mm -hmm. world champion i think based on what i looked at it looks like first day could be a bunch finish and then it gets progressively harder through the tour with a is it a mountaintop finish on the third day or hilltop one called a mountain pretty hard yeah it's quite yeah. a lot of There's climbing four, four stages and it yeah. looks like the so the first stage 114k and there's a climb like a cat two climb right before the and then it descends to the finish like it's pretty close to the finish um so i don't know if it's going to be a bunch kick but it could be like a reduced group that is this a a stage that they use quite frequently. Amy, you might know. I've only been to that hey, race. I get shivers just looking at these uh, <laughs> stage profiles. I'm triggered by it, honestly. I think it is the same. Look, I had no idea where I was or what I was doing, but I think this is the same stage one. Taver Tavernes de la Cause, um, uh, I think Valdig Valdigna to Gandia. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think I think so. Well, I was dropped after like 100k, so I wouldn't know what happened the rest of the race. The second stage does look like it's kind of a a little bit more of a bunch bunch finish, but it does like kick up at the end. Um, 
And then, yeah, stage three is a mountaintop and stage four is a pretty big climb that descends to the finish. Another like cat two, cat two that descends to the finish. But all three, all four of the stages have live coverage. So we will be able to watch. It's not on GCN. It's like its own its own thing. So you have to kind of dive into the dark web to find the live coverage. Um, I'm sure it's on their Twitter. Of us. It's yeah. Set Manus Eclista on Twitter and the info's there. Yeah. So if anyone follows the four of us on Twitter, um, at least two of us will probably tweet where the live coverage is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's the four, it's four stages and all four stages look super exciting. And there's, uh, like we said last week, I mean, there's a ton of, um, there's a there's a ton of really exciting riders on the start line. Bike Exchange has Ruby Rose Mangannon and Alexander Manley over uh, from their just killer start to the season in in Australia and racing in Europe. So that's pretty exciting to see how that goes. And um, we've also got a handful of the new World Tour teams on the start line. With uh, EEF is there and uh, the Roland Kogas Itawas squad, Human Powered Health, and Uno X are all are all on the start line. So there's it looks like four good days of racing to come. It's gonna and be I think like we, we discussed it maybe the last time we were on the podcast offline. It will be I think the most stack field, right? That we've ever seen yeah. at this race. And um I'm sure a lot of those riders that are there will go on to then start the spring classics, which I'm most excited about next week, the opening weekend. Yeah. Next week we'll talk about opening weekend. Um, we, our rants were longer than I expected, but I mean, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Uh, but now, um, into a little bit more calm, conversation with Mia Manganello Kilberg. Thank you so much for listening to the Freeling podcast. We'll be back next week uh, to chat about how Valencia went. Hello, how's it going? How is Beijing? Beijing is uh, it's as good as it can be. Um, COVID is kind of taking a toll on all of us at this point. We're a couple years in with it and uh, I think they have done a great job here of making it as good as it can be. <laughs> yeah, because you you went to the Olympics in Pyeongchang in 2018. So obviously, it's a very different Olympics this time around. A completely different experience. Um, no spectators is kind of the, the biggest downfall that we're having to deal with. Um, and uh, yeah, and honestly, I just feel bad for the the first time Olympians out there that are experiencing this for the first time. And um, luckily we were all able to walk in the opening ceremonies or if you wanted to. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, we've got our, our little bubble here that we have to maintain. And so we, we can only go into events that are within our bubble Um, So we can't go up to like the mountain village and watch any snow sports or anything like that. But in the end, we try to keep the mindset that we're here for a job and to get the the job done, but it's kind of a bummer. And especially for, for those again, that are here for the first time. Yeah, definitely. But you do get to kind of walk around the village a little bit, catch some of the other um, ice related events yeah yeah so we have we have our ice sports um here so hockey figure skating curling uh, and of course speed skating and then yeah i mean it's it's still a cool environment i mean we've got i think maybe eight or ten big towers of apartments full of athletes and uh you know so you you still have the the environment where you, you go to the cafeteria and you see all the olympians and you know, and, um, so you have that atmosphere, but, but yeah, right now it's basically room rink room rink. Um, but I mean, in the end it's, you're going for the metal and it's whatever's going to prepare you for that. For everyone who didn't catch my podcast with you in 2018, 
How did you get into mm-hmm. speed skating? Uh, so I'm originally from Florida and I grew up in a roller rink. Um, my dad was an inline speed skater and from a very young age, um, I grew up in a roller rink and started competitive inline speed skating at eight. And I did that till I was 13, um, where I then watched the 2002 Olympics and Salt Lake City and watched speed skating. And there were a handful of inline speed skaters that were competing in that games. And it kind of just sparked a little fire in me. And I decided I wanted to be an Olympian. And Uh, And so my parents at the age of 13 moved me to Salt Lake City, Utah, so that I could pursue uh, ice speed skating and and try to become an Olympian. And and then that's when the journey started. I I was on the ice till I was 20, so 13 to 20. Uh, I made world teams, junior world teams, did everything but make the Olympics. And in 2010, I decided to step away from the sport um, basically just burnt out. Um, I had chosen to be homeschooled for it and I had missed kind of the, the teenage lifestyle and Mm -hmm. thought it was something that I needed, which turns out I wasn't missing anything (laughs) 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 because I, I decided to leave. Um, and uh, I stepped away for six years actually. Within that six years, I picked up cycling competitively, um, did that, fell in love with that. Absolutely. My parents, my dad was floored when he heard that I was going to race bikes because I put up such a stink and training on the bike when I was a speed skater. And he's like, what, you're doing this willingly now? <laughs> so found a new love with that. <laughs> um, but then in 2016, I... Uh, I was watching Olympic trials for speed skating again, and it all just kind of came rushing back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, cycling had put me in probably the best fitness I'd ever been in in my life. And, and I had still the regret of not making the Olympics and, uh, and capturing that, that, that goal. And, and so in 2016, I moved out back to Salt Lake city and, uh, and chase the dream one more time. And I ended up, um, able to make the 2018 Olympic team and crazy enough leaving with a medal. And, uh, yeah. And then I kind of off and on for the past four years and here we are again. (laughs) Yeah. The last Olympics was a whirlwind for you. It was, it was, it was a, a whirlwind of emotions to get there. Um, Olympic trials didn't go as I, as I hoped, but making it in the end was the ultimate goal. So that was fine. And then, and then, yeah, and then going to the Olympics, not in an event that we actually end up getting a medal in kind of just surreal and overwhelming. (laughs) And then this, this time around, you completely crushed the Olympic trials. Yeah, I did pretty well. I was. I was really nervous going into it. Um, <laughs> no, you did. I watched them. You were so well. good. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And I was, I was really nervous going into it. I didn't have a really good fall um, world cup season. So we had four world cups leading into Olympic trials and uh, at those world cups are where you earn the spots to the Olympics, where then you earn, you race at Olympic trials for those spots that had been earned. And, um, and I hadn't raced well, so I really didn't have any confidence going into the games. And I was talking to my sports psych, my coach, and like trying to just stick back to basics. And luckily was able to, to come out on top, uh, on a 3k and then a good 15 and mass start, obviously. So, yeah, but you're not racing the, the team pursuit this year. Team pursuit, not no, unfortunately we didn't qualify a spot going into these games, um, a bit of a building year for us, for the team pursuit. I think, uh, the goal would be the next four years, uh, to really, we've got some young skaters coming up. So I think, uh, the next Olympics for sure will be a, a go for that one. So at this point, while we're talking, you've got your individually raced events behind you and it's right. just the mass start yes. event coming up. Correct. 
what I wanted to chat about was that mass art event. It's not necessarily new to speed skating, but relatively new to the Olympics, kind of. Um, they had it in 1932. That was the only year. And then they brought it back for the 2018 games. So for you coming from the road with many years of racing experience on the road before you got back into speed skating, does that give you an edge in the mass start events? Uh, to me, yes. Um, and I, I think it's obvious who has race eyes and a race mind out there and who doesn't. Um, it's much like a crit race where you can, you can feel the pack slowing down. You can feel that moment when it's a good time to jump, um, for a break, um, how to sit in a draft who's looking weaker. And, uh, it's definitely something that I'm finding is hard to teach and more of an instinct that people can have, um, but yeah, it's, it's something that I, I think I, I have, I don't want to say mastered, but I definitely have a great sense of, of the race. I just need to get my, my fitness and my ability up to, up to where my mind is. <laughs> Those girls are fast out there. <laughs> they really are. And I mean, it's not like you're the only one with road experience. It's, it's so common for speed skaters to also dabble in road racing and especially training for on the sure bike. yeah especially the europeans i mean they grow up on skates and bikes <laughs> yeah those dutch man they are nuts yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. they're good at it <laughs> but you race against these girls most of the year in the world cups right correct yeah so by the time we get here we we pretty know pretty much know who does what race plan who's the ones to look for um when it comes to sprints and, and preems and everything like that so unlike the other events that you compete in is there any teamwork in this one or is that not really crossed over into the mass start event yet yeah it's something that's slowly drifting over um it's uh it's ideal for sure the dutch have perfected it um, but like you were saying, like they understand bike racing, they understand teamwork. Um, the Dutch also have a marathon series that they do every single year. And, and with that, that's really like a crit race. You've got four to six teammates out there helping you. Um, so it's definitely something we're trying to create within the field. Um, it's just a matter of getting teammates out there that are capable of helping. And then it, it, they make it, they make it challenging. Also, um, we have kind of, we have a semi and then we have a final. Um, so there's two semis and countries are split. Um, so myself will be in one and then Georgia Berkeley will be in another. Um, and so it's up to us to get to the final where then we could team skate. Oh, that's so interesting. I feel like there's so much yeah. um, in speed skating that cycling could pick up and like vice versa. I mean, if you look sure. at, if you look at the track events in cycling, you could make like an, an elimination race in speed skating or something like oh, that. That would be so sure. cool. Yeah. Yeah. We've actually, yeah, we've actually, I've, I've recruited most of the boys on my team to be lovers of cycling. <laughs> And so, <laughs> and so they're all about it now. And, uh, yeah, so they taught, they talk bike racing and, and how, yeah, exactly how, how speed skating could really amp up the, the viewership if they brought a couple more events to this pack style race for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's super exciting to watch and I know it's, it's one of those events that, um, it, it's so unfortunate that people get so into it during the Olympics and then kind of it falls off the radar for the rest of the three mm -hmm. years. Cause it's, mm -hmm. it's really funny when you talk to people and they're so invested. And I've been chatting with a couple of cycling friends that are like every cyclist I know only watches the winter Olympics for the speed skating. And, <laughs> and I'm like, well, you think about what if that was like a, you know, it happens every year, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just really cool. Do you did you ever think about racing track on the 
like on in cycling track cycling um i've thought about it after the 2018 i was actually um contacted about kind of the development camp that they were doing for the team pursuit um but it interfered with training of some sort and um but yeah i mean i've thought about it and i my <laughs> i was a little insecure to do it cuz i don't have the best power numbers but I do have a good race sense and I know how to draft really well. Um, that's why I love the team pursuit as well. Um, and, uh, but like in speed skating, they, they told me, well, you don't have to have the, the highest numbers. It's not the best three athletes out there. You know, it's the best three that can, can skate together or ride together. And uh, so that was a little uplifting, but yeah, unfortunately I, I wasn't able to make it out there. And I still just can't get over no breaks. And I know people say that it's safer, <laughs> but it's terrifying. There's no breaks on ice skates either. I know, but you're like in control. And there's pads. You can like, <laughs> if you really lose it, you can run into the yeah. pads and it's at least soft. And no road rash and or track burns. or <sighs> That's true. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> but you do, you have been riding because I saw on your Instagram that in the, you've got what, 10 days or more in between events right now. And I saw you were riding the other day. Crazy. Yeah. So it's the weirdest thing with the Olympics going two weeks. Um, for some of us, we have the first day of racing. So my 3K was the first day. And then my math start is, I believe, like the last day or the second to last day. And so, uh, You're there for yeah, the whole it's difficult. I'm here for the whole thing, but it is super difficult because you can't peak for two weeks. Right. And so you kind of have to pick and choose your, your battles and, and your wins. And so the beginning of the three K and the 15, I wasn't really peaked for those because the goal would be the mass start. So yeah, I'm actually training, pretty heavily right now and uh leading into race week so uh, yeah i still have like nine days till till um the final so it's uh heavy kind of like two days on two days on one day off little uh mini bursts so you brought your bike over do you do intervals while you're yes on your bike oh yeah awesome yeah we've got um we have lactate thresholds, we have VO2s, and then we've got 15 seconders that are basically the the core of our trainings. Um, and then we're anywhere from an hour to three hours on the bike. That's so cool. Yeah, we're 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 probably like we're probably like 80% bike training, I'd say. <laughs> Um, How much time do you get to spend on the ice then? Because there's other events that are going on all the time. Yeah. Well, luckily, I mean, the event, there's one event a day. Um, so it really gives a lot of time for us to get in. Um, we get basic, I think like a 40 minute session in a day if needed. Um, today we were on the ice in the morning and then we had a, a ride this afternoon. So yeah, luckily they make time for us just because of that fact alone. Like, there's almost two weeks between trainings and like we can't stay off the ice for that long. So I figured it out and it works pretty well. I also am so intrigued by the, the crossover. Cause yeah, like I said, there's like so many, the people that have competed in both winter and summer Olympics are almost always cyclists and speed skaters. I mean, if you think like Clara Hughes, for example. Yep. Yep. For sure. Combination of the two is it's just so fascinating. I mean, it, I guess it makes sense that cycling would you would naturally be interested in speed skating because of all of the factors that you just mentioned that are the same, like drafting, being able to read people and stuff like that. So it's Yeah. Well, and cycling just does such a great job of just building your endurance without putting a lot of strain on your on your joints and you know, so I just feel like it, it's an easy way for a lot of sports to cross train. And, and I think it would, it would create a, a well-balanced athlete for sure. Well, are you going to hop on the bike after the Olympics or are you four more years? I still think I am. <laughs> um, 
So right now the game plan is four more years, but we're taking it one year at a time because I'm 32 and that's just how life is. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, definitely. um, I'm back at it with uh, DNA Pro Cycling again, going into this season. And um, the plan would be to jump out there for some, for some good old fun crits. So we, uh, we we go out there and, and get good fitness and, and have a little bit of fun as well. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to see you on the road and good luck in the mass start events. We'll be cheering for you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.